Well, grace, mercy, and peace from God, our Heavenly Father, Jesus Christ, our Savior, uh, through the wonderful working of the Holy Spirit, be with you as you join Emily and I this morning. Uh, we will be uh, sharing God's Word with you uh, together. And, uh, you know, we want to say, feel free to stop at any point in time, pause it, discuss things as a family, questions that you may have, uh, talk with one another, uh, and then and then join right back up. Uh, but without any other further introduction, we're just going to get right into it uh, this morning. Perhaps you've heard or said the Lord's Prayer at some point in your life or read it in the Bible, but there's this part that says, your kingdom come, your will be done on here as it is in heaven. And for many of us, we probably would echo some sentiments that I found in this devotional by uh, Paul Tripp. It's called New Morning Mercies, if that's something that you're interested in. This is a great one, talking about grace uh, for each day of the year. And here's what Paul Tripp says. Peace and rest are always found when we give our hearts in submission to the Savior. Rest is found in these words. Your kingdom come, your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. We say to God, may your kingdom come in all that I think, desire, and say. May your kingdom come in my marriage and in my family. May your kingdom come in my work. May your kingdom come in my leisure. May your kingdom so rule my heart that stepping over your boundaries would no longer be attractive to me. He goes on to say that he, that's his hope and prayer for each and every person, that they would feel that way. You know, but sometimes we say your kingdom come, and, and we really, really want God's kingdom to come. But then, uh, but then there's other times where when we're, um, uh, you know, talking with one another, or maybe we've been studying something uh, that we think that our own ideas and ways are sometimes better. You know, I know that Emily and I sometimes uh, experience uh, times where I think my ideas are really, really great. Uh, times where um, I've been thinking about something or I've been studying something so long or working on something so hard that uh, I get this one-track mind and I say, no, this is the only way that this can happen and it discounts all other ideas. And, and maybe you've had that uh, in your own life where you study something, you work on something, you focus on something so long that it's really hard to humble yourself <laughs> and recognize that someone else has um, some good ideas. Uh, you know, and, and in all honesty, sometimes it's the best ideas or the better things that we can ourselves get in the way of. Sure, I think when we think, especially right now, we're in a climate where uh, we feel like the world is out of control. Um, I was listening to a sermon by Tim Keller, and he said, um, when we think we are in control of the world, but then the world gets out of our control, we think the world is out of control. Um, but it was never in our control. And the foundations of the world, the truth is that the Lord is on his throne. So why do we try to rule the world? Because we're quite underqualified, Tim Keller says. Um, and so does Martin Luther, I think, in, in some of his, his writings. Um, so it's that control, which is um, 
kind of gives us a false sense of security. And um, we have to take our time and reorient ourselves to God's authority. Yeah, I think that's one of the things that we feel like we may be lost right now uh, as, well, we're in our house. Welcome to our kitchen dining room table, right? And uh, we're all kind of stuck in certain places. Uh, we don't necessarily have control. There's, there's many people, even in our church, that uh, didn't necessarily have control over uh, you know, being laid off or let go for a short period of time. And that's something that they're experiencing. And there's all these things uh, which felt like perhaps they were once in our control. And now everything seems like it's been turned upside down. And so what we want to do is we're going to go into uh, our next passage of Mark, which is uh, Mark 8, uh, 31 through chapter 9, verse 1. And Emily is going to read that for us out of the New International Reader's Version. That's a third grade level Bible. This is actually our son Peyton's Bible. Um, he's not quite third grade yet, but it's at a level that he can understand. And we want everyone to be able to understand Jesus then began to teach his disciples. He taught them that the Son of Man must suffer many things. He taught them that the elders would not accept him. The chief priests and the teachers of the law would not accept him either. He must be killed and after three days rise again. He spoke clearly about this. Peter took Jesus to one side and began to scold him. Jesus turned and looked at his disciples. He scolded Peter. Get behind me, Satan, he said. You are not thinking about the things God cares about. Instead, you are thinking only about the things humans care about. Jesus called the crowd to him along with his disciples. He said, whoever wants to be my disciple must say no to themselves. They must pick up their cross and follow me. Whoever wants to save their life will lose it. But whoever loses their life for me and for the good news will save it. What good is it if someone gains the whole world but loses their soul? Or what can anyone trade for their soul? Suppose anyone is ashamed of me and my words among these adulterous and sinful people. The Son of Man will be ashamed of them when he comes in his Father's glory with the holy angels. Jesus said to them, What I am about to tell you is true. Some who are standing here will not die before they see God's kingdom has come with power. You know, I think Peter thought he had a really good idea of what the Messiah was going to be like. You know, he probably learned about it as, as a kid growing up, what other rabbis and teachers uh, thought. And so he had this idea uh, and the idea that Peter had in his brain of the way things were going to be just didn't mesh with the things that Jesus was saying. Peter had the one idea and yet Jesus was saying something completely different. Jesus wasn't talking in the way that Peter thought that the Messiah was going to talk. And just before this passage, we actually would have read a section where Peter declares that Jesus is the Christ, that he is the Messiah. So now, Jesus isn't talking that way, though. Uh, 
Peter would assume that Jesus would be expanding upon the Torah, the, the law, and he would be reinstituting and reinstating that law for, for everyone to follow. But that is not what, what Jesus was doing. Instead, he was talking about this breaking in of the kingdom of God and the nearness of God's love and the forgiveness of sinners, which wasn't the concepts that Peter had in mind. You see, Peter's description of what he was thinking about was really crafted from uh, Daniel chapter 7. And I got it here. It says, uh, I saw the night visions, and behold, the with white or with clouds of heaven, there came one like the Son of Man. And he came uh, to the Ancient of Days and was presented before him. And to him was given dominion and glory and a kingdom that all the peoples, nations, and languages should serve him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion, which shall not pass away, and his kingdom is one that shall not be destroyed. And so Peter has it in his mind that Jesus is going to be almost this conquering king, this guy that's going to take over everything and, and make all kingdoms subject to him right there, right in on earth, and yet Jesus begins to teach something completely different. He, he teaches, and he does it actually three times. He's going to do it in Mark chapter 8, right when we read that. He's going to do it again uh, in Mark chapter 9, verses 30 and 32. And then yet again in Mark chapter 10, verses 32 and 34, where he talks about this Messiah figure is going to be someone who's going to be, be someone who's suffering. Uh, and he's not going to be suffering at the hands of wicked people, like maybe we would assume. Instead, Jesus is going to suffer at the hands of, of the godly people, the chief priests. And, and, and that's something that just doesn't make sense. And so Peter goes and he starts rebuking Jesus. It talks sternly. I forget what the... Scolded. Scolded. Uh, and the interesting thing about the scolding that's used there or rebuking, as it says in my Bible right here, is... Um, that's the language that, that Jesus uses when he casts out a demon or he casts out an evil spirit. It's a real stern language. It's the same Jesus rebuked the wind and the waves, right? He rebuked an evil spirit to come out. And, and now you see that Peter is rebuking Jesus because he thought Jesus uh, was way off base. He thought Jesus' teaching was so wrong that he needed this stern, stern uh, kind of pushback, like, no, this is is not what you're supposed to be saying. Uh, it, it's just completely wrong. And Peter, he was thinking that his way was better than Jesus' way. Sure, I think it can be a little easy to be hard on Peter um, because we have the benefit of this side of the cross, um, and Peter didn't. And at that time, like Steve was saying, he, he was thinking along the lines of what he had been taught. He was um, following the instructions that he'd already been given, given in other ways. Um, Mark, in his gospel here, does um, a lot of stories about um, Jesus teaching and getting people to flip their mindset. Um, and over and over again, Jesus is being patient. And um, if you've been following along with Pastor Steve in reading the chapters of Mark, 
Um, Jesus teaches as much as they can understand. Um, there's a certain level of which of understanding. Um, right before this passage, there's um, a healing that Jesus does that kind of acts as a, par- a parable um, to what Jesus is expecting people to flip that mindset. He heals a blind man. And the blind man, um, after Jesus heals him, Jesus asks, uh, you know, can you see? Uh, and the man says, I see men, but they look like trees. And Jesus lays his hands on the man again, and he asks him, what do you see now? And he had seen everything clearly. Um, and so that's an example of, it's a, it's a beautiful picture of what Jesus is literally doing here with people's mindsets and their worldview of what discipleship will be, what God's kingdom will be, and what the authority of God and of the Son of Man is here as well. And so after Peter tries to rebuke Jesus, Jesus instead turns to him and he rebukes Peter. Uh, And in reality, it's because Peter had it in his idea that his way was better and that, you know, um, and he didn't know any better, right? We, we do, just like Emily said. Uh, and, and Peter, this same disciple who Jesus calls Satan, you know, he's like, you don't have the, your mind on the, the things of God, is, is still struggling with this later on. Because later on, uh, we see Peter's the one that, that grabs a knife and, and cuts off someone's ear when, when Jesus is being arrested because he's trying to, to stop that from taking place. But Jesus has some pretty strong and, and, and stern words to, uh, to Peter. He says, get behind me, Satan. And uh, some of the commentaries would even say that this is the same uh, word combination that's used when Jesus himself is in uh, uh, the wilderness with uh, the devil, with Satan, as he's being tempted. And I think it's Matthew chapter 4. Uh, where Jesus rebukes Satan. Uh, And those are the same similar words uh, that Jesus uses when he's speaking to Peter uh, to say, hey, you don't have the things of God on your mind. You're only thinking uh, selfishly those things of yourself. Um, And I think that's something that is rather interesting. Uh, But the other thing is we see that Jesus himself wants to give life. That's the main purpose that we see in this second half of this this passage, 34 through uh, chapter 9, verse 1. And and those words that are used there that that says, For whoever would save his life will lose it. Whoever loses his life for my sake and for the gospels will save it. For what does it profit a man to gain the whole but forfeit his soul? For what can a man give in return for his soul? Those two times where it says soul and those two times where it says life is actually the same Greek word. It's that Jesus is wanting these people to actually gain uh, all-encompassing life. It's not just a life here on earth, but it's a, a life in gaining something that is in the future. And the only way that that's going to happen, Jesus says, is if he himself is is crucified in the hands of these uh, these chief priests and that he dies and that he is risen on the third day. And sometimes we might say that well maybe Jesus maybe Jesus 
you know, was was kind of put in this position, and he maybe he he, you know, didn't have a choice. You could maybe say, but it's interesting when we look at John chapter ten verse eighteen, and it says this: Jesus talking, no one takes my life from me, but I lay it down of my accord. I have authority to lay it down. I have authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. So it's it's no one that's that's forcing Jesus' hand, uh, that's that's causing him to do something that he doesn't necessarily want to do, but instead it's it's Jesus saying, I have been given authority. I've been given over authority over other people's lives and healing them. I have been given authority over my life and, and I'm going to be the one that, that lays it down and, and is, is the one who will, will take it back up again on the third day. Yeah, I think it's important to note as well why, it, why is it so critical, critical for Jesus to, to lay down his life. You know, he has the authority to do so. Why is it so important and what does it mean? What does it mean for us? Um, what does it mean? Obviously, we know it means salvation. But the reason he has to give it his life is because sin has created a barrier between God and us. And in the Old Testament, um, David says, the Lord is in his holy temple. We hear that a lot in the Psalms. Um, the Lord is in his holy temple. The only way that people could get to the Lord was through the chief priests, was through the ones who were um, designated to go into the Holy of Holies behind that barrier, behind that veil. And it was people's sin that was that, that barrier that couldn't be passed. Well, Jesus sees that the only way that that barrier can be brought down is giving his life. He has to give the ultimate substitute of sacrifice for our sin. Um, you know, so Jesus shows up and he he dies, uh, and he's now he's predicting his death. And not only that, he's saying you must carry your cross, which for us is kind of a unique. Um, you know, it's a sentimental thing to think about a cross. Uh, for them, it would have been saying, like, pick up your electric chair and follow me. Uh, it was very strange mm-hmm. for them to to accept this bear and carry your cross. Um, but Jesus had to do that, and he's expecting um, his followers to follow suit in his suffering. Um, Jesus had to break through the barrier, the concrete wall. Jesus is busting a hole in that concrete wall. And that gives us access to the Lord in his holy temple. Um, And so we have this relationship with God only through Jesus giving up his life. And the only way he can do that and be a perfect sacrifice for us is because he has the authority to do so for himself. Amen. (laughs) You know, and I, I think right now, though many of us, perhaps don't love that schools are closed, that businesses are closed, that places, restaurants are closed. Uh, We could probably list off a number of things that are, you know, non-essential. 
And because of that, because we're in our homes and we have our kids here, or, or we're not able to go out and visit others like we would, we can't host visitors like we would, we're experiencing maybe just a pinch, just a small sliver of what it means to live in a self-sacrificing way, a self-sacrificing love towards other people. You know, we've been talking about this idea, or you've heard it on the news, right? Bending the curve, like we're on this exponential rate. And, and the idea is that, that we want to stop that. We want it to, to level out. We want to flatten the curve. Uh, and by sacrificing what minimal things it is. I, I know it's, it's not easy to, to, you know, for us to be the church and not be together. It's not easy for, for Emily, who does most of the homeschooling, uh, to do that, right? Um, it's not easy to, to really think through, okay, do I really need to go out and get eggs? Do I really need to do that? You know, it's not easy, but each of those things that we, that we choose to not do, that we, we sacrifice, is just a little bit better picture, I think, of of what the sacrificial life of Jesus was. He, he was not putting himself first, but his, his love for everyone else caused him to live in a different way and to, to use his authority to lay down his life for the benefit of other people. Yeah, I think, you know, with this pandemic, um, the quarantine, it, yeah, it's not what we want. And it's painful. It's painful to not have work. Um, it's painful not having your regular routine. Um, but it's for the good of others. And we know that there's no other way to undo the spread of this without this specific solution. Jesus similarly sees that the spread of sin needs a sacrificial solution. Um, he has to give his life in order to um, stop the spread of sin. And it's the infection of sin that's not something that we can do on our own, uh, which is why we need him as our perfect substitute. Uh, our sin has made us unworthy to be with God and to be in God's presence. Um, but it's in God's presence where we find hope and where we find um, our true our true creative um, the way we were truly created in God's image is in his presence. And how can we possibly get there? Because we can't do it on our own. So we have to have Jesus Christ. Um, and there's no other way. I was thinking about this, uh, you know, this, the new song by Hillsong. It's called King of Kings. We started learning it and singing it at Princeton. It'll be linked on your worship guide um, today as well. There's a, a verse in there and it says this. And a, to reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost, to redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side, knowing this was our salvation. Jesus, for our sake, you died. I think that sums it up that um, Jesus saw it and he knew there was no other way. Um, and it's in his authority that he's able to give us this immense act of love. And I want to read a quote um, from Dr. R.C. Sproul to kind of conclude here. Uh, we can see the value of our souls by noting how much Jesus was willing to pay for the souls of his people. 
the Son of God was willing to endure the wrath of God as the incarnate Lord tells us all we need to know about how much we should value our souls. Seeking to preserve our lives, if it means disobeying Christ, therefore is the most foolish, loss-inducing decision we could ever make. So giving up ourselves is ultimately uniting ourselves with Christ. And so when we lay down our lives and we carry our cross, we endure suffering, we are more united with him. And that's what he wants for us. He wants us to be united in God's presence. Well said, Emily. Let's, let's close our time uh, together in prayer. And, and then uh, I'd love to bless uh, each and every one of you who listen to this uh, with a blessing from Numbers. Let's pray together. Dear Lord, uh, we thank you for your word and how it reaches into our lives uh, in ways that perhaps we, we don't see right away. And then we start looking deeper and deeper and we get this um, more vast understanding of your love for us, your care for us, and how you sacrificed because of that so that we could live with you. So our prayer is that you would teach us the way of sacrifice. Teach us what it means to, to take up our cross, whether that's uh, just the small things like uh, perhaps right now helping uh, others by staying in our home or, or whether that's giving self-sacrificially to those who are in need of of, of resources, of things. And we thank you, Lord, for providing for our needs, and we put ourselves in your hand. And it's Jesus' name we pray. Amen. As we close this time, I encourage you, uh, if you're a member at Princeton or a regular attender, uh, please continue to give for the ministries of our church. We are still continuing to work to to fulfill needs of our people, if you want to give to the Benevolence Fund. Uh, but we're also continuing to, to uh, try to figure out ways where we can continue to disciple you, uh, disciple children, disciple adults, and continue to meet together. So, uh, you know, if you want to send checks to 5330 Kalamazoo Avenue, uh, Kentwood, Michigan, that's fine. Otherwise, we have a link uh, right on our website uh, for giving as well. Uh, as we go our separate ways this week, uh, the Lord goes with us. So let us receive his blessing. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face shine on you and be gracious to you. The Lord turn his face towards you and give you his peace. Amen.